This morning, continuing in chapter 8, Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, but that he is eagerly obliged to it. A gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, the wrath of God revealed against men, the righteousness of God revealed in making propitiation for them when he ransomed back his people to himself, purchasing their lives with the lifeblood of Christ on the cross in order that the one who is eternally just might also be justified. For Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, the very power of God on display. For faith is not powerful in and of itself. Instead, the glory and the power lie in the one in whom we have faith. Having been justified through the gift of faith, now we rejoice, we boast, literally boast, in the hope of God, for we were dead. Born in the very image of Adam, from dust and to dust we would return, but in Christ we live, because in Christ we died. It is Him in whom our identity rests. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who by the baptism of the Spirit has died with Christ, who has been buried with Christ, who is risen with Christ by the glory of the Father to walk in a newness of life, both a slave and a lover, simultaneously both true, because in Jesus Christ God has an enslavement, an enslavement to righteousness that is unlike enslavement to anything else that exists. What a gloriously profound identity is, life from death calling into existence that which did not exist. And by the Spirit, He shepherded our souls in death, that He may shepherd our souls in life. Mankind are enslaved to their own beings. Paul made it clear just a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, where he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but in Christ we have a new being. For the very next sentence in chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That Spirit is the means of our adoption, by which we're set as sons and daughters, the very children of God, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, a real inheritance, with the Spirit as the guarantee, the earnest money, God will not forfeit on what he has already paid such a dear price for, the price of his son. We have a tangible inheritance. The Holy Spirit living in us, so to the point that even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit is interceding for us. And therefore, Paul can make one of the most outrageous claims in all of Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, look with me if you will this morning, where Paul says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose what an incredible statement and there is a reality of futility don't hear me wrong 
As a matter of fact, Paul has just been speaking about it in verse 18. Paul considers the nature of this fallen world when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, and brothers, we know, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When we say that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, we do not have our head buried in the sand about the futile nature of this fallen creation. The reality is, is it is worthless apart from the redemption of its creator. It is unable to bring about any good end. Paul tells us that saints suffer. These are realities, sufferings of this present world, and yet we are not a futile people. We have hope. The future that lies before us in the fullness of our inheritance is so glorious that the troubles of today are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. At the present, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. As Paul said, with groanings too deep for words, perfectly according to the mind of God. He intercedes effectually. And that intercession is absolutely necessary it's absolutely necessary if all things are truly going to work for good once again in chapter 8 in verse 28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is what we know. This is the promise of God to his children, to the very ones that cry out, Abba, Father, that all things work together for good. It's been called the most hopeful verse in all of scripture it's been called the most difficult verse in all of scripture it takes a profound spirit-given faith to believe it but if you have it if you have it it will make you invincible All things working together. The Greek word is the same place that we get our word for synergy. It means to bring things together in harmony. 
It's in the present tense and in the active voice. That means it's happening right now. That all things right now, not just in the past, and not just in some future time when things will eventually work out in the end, but that right now all things are working together for good. Incredible. It's an incredible thing to believe. It's it's an incredible thing to ponder. Just 30 minutes ago, me and Mark step outside the door over here. Man, when you look at the last year, much of the futility of this world and suffering is very clear. Look out there and Mark goes, man, there's Butch. One of our own. And right behind him is Aaron and Landry. And I'm here to tell you that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come to us. Listen, those things are hard things. Those are hard things. Man, it doesn't say all things are good. What it does say is that right now, actively in the present tense, all things, even these things that are so hard, are absolutely, positively working together for your good. If you love God and are called according to his purpose, it is his promise to his children. It is our inheritance. And no matter how hard things get, you can hang your hat on it. Paul makes it clear that all things aren't good. As a matter of fact, that's the very next topic. When he gets to verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. All things in a futile world aren't good. The omnipotent power of your loving Savior makes them all work together for your good. We have hope of future glory. We have the object right now of present intercession according to the Spirit right through the middle of current circumstances and suffering, no matter how difficult they may be, and it's all according to the purpose of God's mind. In other words, friends, there is somewhere that God intends to take you and me. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And it's so important that the Spirit intercedes when we don't even know what to pray for. The movement through your current difficulty is the path that God has chosen by which to get you there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hey man, there's suffering in a futile world. It's not worth comparing to where he's taking you. Saints, we've said it before when looking at this exact same verse. I want to say it again this morning. 
if you have obtained by the power of God unto the inheritance of which the Spirit of God is the seal and deposit guarantee, you have never in your life had a bad day. You may think you did. You're wrong. You may not see it now. You will. You may feel depressed. Friends, it's a lie. You go, so were you saying depression is not real? Oh no, friends, lives are real. That's why they're dangerous. You've never had a bad day. You've had some hard ones. And you'll have some harder ones. But all things work together for good. For a very particular group of people. Now this, this is the part you've got to get right. Okay? Because otherwise, this is just pie-in-the-sky lunacy. This is true for a very particular group of people. It is for a group of people that are qualified by all those who are called and by that call, love Him. You know, there's two types. There's two types of call that we see in the Scripture. It's important to know which one we're talking about. Because here in chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says very specifically, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so which call are we talking about? Because Scripture speaks of a common call, a common call to God and a common call to the Gospel and a divine call. And which one of these two calls you hear is the one that's going to determine whether or not you love God and all things are working together for your good or whether all things are working together for futility. And it can only be one or the other. The common call is the call to the gospel that goes out from the servants of God, the common call is the call of the gospel that goes out for men and women and boys and girls. It's a call that, that Charlotte reminds me of every single Sunday morning in Sunday school when we move from praise to petition. And say, so what do we want to petition God for? And she says, salvation. We want to tell people about the gospel. We want them to believe the gospel. We want them to be saved. In Matthew chapter 22, In verse 1 through 14, we see two very different types of call. We see the common call of the servants of the Lord and the effectual call of the Lord Himself. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 1, And again, Jesus spoke to them, He spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they had no... They had no tension. 
and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore, go to the main roads, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in, To look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So Paul tells us that... There is a promise to the children of God, and that promise comes to those who are called and therefore love him. Jesus tells us in the parable of the wedding feast that many are called, but few are chosen. So what are we talking about here? And what we're talking about is two different kinds of call. We're talking about the common call, the call of the preacher, the call of the evangelist, The call that comes forth from the servants of the Lord. The call that comes forth from men. There is a different kind of call. There is a call that Paul is speaking of in Romans. A call that comes from the king. A call that makes you chosen. The call of God himself. It's always effectual. Because when God calls for light, there is light. In John chapter 15, in verses 15 through 16. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just go back to 12. It makes great context. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There is a call that comes directly from God himself. A call that causes Jesus to be able to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to something. I appointed you to something that is so glorious, the troubles of this futile world and the sufferings thereof are not worthy of comparing what is to come. I've appointed you to an inheritance by which you are the very children of God, the spirit by which you call Abba Father. Things may be difficult, 
But they are working for your good. They are the means that he is using to bring you to the place of his purpose and intention. We see the divine call here in chapter 8 and verse 29 and 30. Paul breaks it down for us what is happening and what it looks like. For those whom he foreknew, for those whom he foreknew, Man, if you've been here for very long, I hope you already know what I'm about to say next. If you haven't, tune it in. The Greek is very specific here. The type of knowledge that's being spoken of is of a critical importance that we understand. It is not intellectual knowledge. It is not informational knowledge. The type of knowledge that he is speaking of here is gnosko. It is intimate knowledge. It is the knowledge that one heart has for another. It's the intimacy that God had with his children before the foundations of time. It's not about our heart and our intimacy. It's all about his. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined them to sonship to daughtership, to be placed, adopted. He did that in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul takes this grand concept of salvation that begins in eternity past and ends in eternity future. And he says, here is the flow. Those that he was intimate with, that were his children, he predestined to that very thing. Why? So that they could be sanctified, that they could be conformed to the image of his son. It starts with the indwelling of his son's spirit. He brought this to be by calling them, not with the call of a preacher, though he may have used a preacher with an effectual call that causes them to be justified. Not simply the offer of salvation, but an effectual Savior that saves His people. That speaks life to those that are dead and calls into existence that which did not exist. See, that's what you got to have. If you've got a life that doesn't exist, then you have to have an effectual supernatural call Because otherwise there's nothing there to respond. He justified them. He took the blood of his son and made propitiation for their sins. He glorified them. That thing that is coming that is not, that, that just outshines the troubles of this present day to the point that they're not even worth mentioning in light of it. Notice that all of these are brought into the English in the past tense, even though for all of us standing here today, this is not yet complete. Many of us have been called. Many have been justified. We're all still being conformed. We're all still being sanctified. Not one of us has been glorified. If you don't believe it, all you got to do is look in the mirror, right? 
Not that glorious, folks, at least for me. Foreknown or predestined? Predestined or called? Called or justified? Justified or glorified? There's no options here. From foreknown to glorification, he abandons none of his children. He will not forfeit the life of his son that he sacrificed to justify you. By the intercession of the Holy Spirit, the common call of the servants of God becomes the effectual divine call of the voice of God himself. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching a supernatural gospel. You might call it gospel if it's not a supernatural gospel. You have mislabeled something that's not gospel. This is not joining a club. This is life from death. Something from nothing. The grace of God manifest. When men, women, boys and girls hear the effectual call, their heart is changed, they drop to their knees, they repent, they love like they've never repented or loved in their life. That's the gospel that we call people to. And then we watch with bated breath, with bated breath in the hope. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about hoping in something you do not see. In the hope. That the Lord will speak life the way he spoke it to us. The call of the servant. Man, preaching the gospel, I tell you what, you you know, it should never be a chore. It ought to always be a joy. I mean, you never can tell what you might see happen. And hey, you know what? You may preach it and it may just be the, the preacher calling. That happens too, but you don't know. You don't know. And man, when God calls, it's something to see. We've had some of that this year too. Uh It's Romans chapter 10, verse 12 through 17. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him if whom they have never heard? So Paul makes this kind of incredible supernatural ivory tower doctrinal statement and then immediately goes to the practical hey man there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved all who call on the name of the Lord all who hear that divine call that brings about justification that brings about glorification okay well how does that work well you know How can they call on him if they've never heard the gospel? And how can they hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Here's the reality. You don't have to do very much gospel preaching before you figure out real quick that sometimes you're going to preach it and it is just going to fall on deaf ears. No matter how well it's presented, no matter how slick you think your notes are, no matter how persuasive you think you can be, you can't persuade dead men. Not all believed. Preachers come preaching. You don't always get what you're after. God always gets what he's after. Which is exactly why Paul says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not through the word of the preacher. Not through the word of the man. Not through the word of the woman. Not through the word of the boy. Not through the word of the girl. It comes through the word of Christ. That word that Jesus looked at him and said, many are called but few are chosen. That kind of call that comes when Jesus looked at his apostles and said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Because I have an appointment for you. I have something in mind. I have a purpose. God does this because he has a purpose to fulfill in you. And that purpose to his glory is the purpose of a son and a daughter. By which we cry, Abba, Father. This is the gospel. So that we may stand. And we may look when it's easy to see and when it's impossible to see. And by faith say, I've never had a bad day. All things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If, if, you, haven't, if you haven't come to Christ, I, I pray that you hear more than my words this morning. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All who call are saved. Let's pray.